This show will pollute listeners' ears with foul language, occasional sexually explicit content, and more irony than is allowed for single episodes. Last several years, distributors of obscenity have expanded into new areas, employing new technologies and reaching new audiences. Neither our constitution, our courts, our people, nor our respect for common decency and human suffering will allow this trafficking in obscene material. Cinema psyops, which exploits women and men alike, to continue sharing filth-laden desires on mic to warp the brains of listeners until they are all demented deviants. Federal laws are being violated, and thus I am committed to redoubling the federal effort to ensure that those criminal elements who are trafficking in obscenity are pursued with a vengeance and prosecuted to the hill. The fact that society is becoming much more open now, less repressed, and I think there's less need for... Cinema PsyOps. Without dignity, they shout into the void in a vain attempt to be loved. Living in this culture now where there's just icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi, it's inconceivable what it must be like to be a young adolescent now with this kind of access to... Cinema PsyOps. It must be dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we can't even think about. A pirate ship with a tattered flag, sailing across seas of questionable movies while firing cannons of disdain. Cinema PsyOps. Long may she sail. Hello and welcome to Cinema PsyOps. I am currently sitting alone in the studio by myself. I was considering actually playing that uh, all by myself song and pretending like I'm all sad and that I'm not prepared for this and I don't know what I'm going to do and, you know, oh, woe is me, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, at the same time, it doesn't really seem like that great of an idea to do it because, A, I've seen other podcasters do that before whenever they don't have a co-host for a show and they're flying solo. And B, I'm really not that sad. I'm actually kind of excited to give this a shot and see if maybe this is something that I can pull off. I've been listening to Kruger Nation for a long time whenever that show was on the air and I'm also a very big fan of uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast that's hosted by our buddy Al Goro and obviously a big fan of Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation well and I mean if they can do a solo cast and they can kind of keep things interesting and do a discussion that may keep someone interested in what they have to say why can't I give it a shot right? I mean granted I don't have the charisma of Johnny Krug and I certainly don't have that goddamn sexy voice that Gal Goro has, but I mean, there's got to be something I got that'll keep you guys interested, right? Well, why don't I just offer you exploitation and titillation like I want to do? I mean, that's what I love talking about the most, so that's why I picked Reform School Girls. I think everybody can get behind that, unless they're not into girls. But I mean, there's still some campy fun stuff, if you're not, that you might find interesting as well. And if you're also a sadistic prick, you might really enjoy a kitten stomping that happens in the film, which isn't really a spoiler to say because it's in the fucking trailer for the movie, and it's probably the thing that people remember the most anyway, so that I'm not looking forward to talking about anyway. You know, Reform School Girls is an interesting and weird little flick to try and talk about. Try and, you know, really get a discussion going on what's good and bad about the film is an interesting uh, prospect for me to do. And to do it solo, man, that's going to be even more bizarre because I'm going to have to open up a little bit more and share a little bit more about certain things that uh, I'm feeling and or thinking. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. And also, I have a little bit of a history of this film, too. So, I think it'll 
be kind of a fun discussion. At least I, I hope so. And if you guys don't like that, I mean, I got Werewolf Man Jack doing a music show as well. And from what I can tell, he is super pissed from that show. I mean, let's uh, just let the cat out of the bag. I've already heard it. Um, It's very angry. And uh, I do believe he shouts the words, burn this motherfucker down a few times. Yeah, Werewolf Man Jack is kind of hiding out right now in a location I'm not willing to disclose at this particular moment, but I did kind of help him. Um, I don't know if you guys remember or not. Way, way back when Matt and I were in Vegas together, we had to go on the run for a little bit. And uh, yeah, Werewolf Man Jack covered our asses, but he was wanted for questioning, so he had to go on the run. And unfortunately, uh, he's on the hook for a bunch of other things that I can't really discuss either. So he's been hiding out. And yes, I kind of helped him by showing him a location or telling him a location. And now having said that, he's probably going to have to run anyway, because I'm going to have to tell if, you know, they try to force me to. But nobody's going to believe me even if I tell them where he's at. So I guess that doesn't matter. But anyway, if you're not going to enjoy this and you are tired of my rambling already and you don't want to hear me talk about and or ramble about Reform School Girls, why this film holds a special place in my heart, what it is about this film that made me pick it for my first solo endeavor ever in podcasting. I mean, besides the interview that I did with uh, Survival of the Film Freaks filmmakers when that happened, I mean, this is kind of the only solo show I've ever really done trying to actually do a full-fledged review. So this should be interesting and fun and hopefully it doesn't fucking suck. I mean, because either way I'm putting it out because I already said I'm doing it. So (laughs) it's going to be out there, folks, for everybody. All right, I've rambled on enough. I've hit the ever so popular above six-ish minute marker for the opening of the show that I like to do before we move on to the next segment. Little behind the scenes that I'm giving for you there. So I'm going to take a little break here myself personally. Going to play a promo for the Legion podcast Patreon ad, which I'm dead serious, folks. Get out there and participate with that. Give what you can because if we don't have Legion Podcast Network, I don't have a home for this show. And if I don't have a home for this show, you guys don't have a way to listen to this show. Now, I know it's not everybody's going to be able to contribute or everybody's going to be able to do that, but it's there for us to be able to give back to this network that's basically given us a place to stay in our time of need. And I think all of us right now can really understand how that goes. So it's time to take that break that I promised you two or 3,000 rants ago, play that promo for the Legion podcast ad, and we'll have a little bit of music from Reform School Girls soundtrack from my gal, Wendy O. And when we come back, we will have the trailer for Reform School Girls. This will keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You call me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for $5, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. Oh, 
man, I gotta say, I really dig that. This is the only real time I listen to this Reform Schoolgirls song, though, when it's played in the movie. I mean, it's not one that's readily available, and it's kind of no secret, as far as I understand it, that Wendy O was really kind of disappointed in this film. She was not really a fan of it and how it turned out, which, I mean, I'm not 100% shocked by, but at the same time, I'm still kind of wondering why, because I think she's fucking great in this movie. I mean, you know, as great as you can possibly be in a movie like Reform Schoolgirls, but you know what else I think she's great in, folks? This trailer. Here they are. The loveliest girls in the history of socially conscious cinema. Reform school girls. Your time is doubled. So chin. They come from all walks of life. Just to get stepped on. Bring me something to wipe my shoe. See the lyrical shower scene. Reflect on the dramatic kitty stomp. Think about the spectacular hose down. This is the motion picture they said couldn't be made. So young, so bad, so what? Reform schoolgirls. So, like I said before, that trailer spoils the fuck out of just about everything that's in the movie by doing a pseudo sort of old school style trailer where you have this whole thing about, see this shocking new turn of events. Check out this titillating little piece of ass stuff over here. Ooh, is that a naked girl? Yeah, you're going to get all of this in the film and more. Oh, and for you really sadistic fucks out there, we're going to stomp on a kitten. I mean, that's basically what the trailers do it, right? Well, anyway, let's see if the film actually lives up to all that sensationalism and my own personal hype I've been giving you guys. So here we go. The film opens up on a heist in progress as it goes very wrong for the getaway driver and her partner, who is Billy. We hear his name shouted out because she yells it at him because apparently Billy gets shot and then he starts doing a bit of a shootout as well. And he has a hell of a shootout while he's doing this. She is not happy about that because he promised her for some shape or reason that there would be no shooting in a robbery. I mean, if you're bringing a gun to a robbery, chances are there's going to be a shooting, so whatever. I think it's just an excuse to get her into the reform school anyway. So, she is unfortunately not a very good getaway driver either because she crashes into a car mere seconds after the title for the film Reform School Girls pops up and then we see the credit for the ultimate punk rock goddess, Wendy O. Williams and the ever-wonderful Sybil Danning as well. So, this movie is jammed packed with lovely ladies that I know from other films and then also I have an obsession with because of her punk rock goddess status in Wendy O. Williams, but we've seen Sybil Danning actually in The Howling 2. Now, I know we didn't do it on Cinema Psyops, but Matt and I actually did a crossover episode, so you can hear Matt and I talking about that on The Deuce. But anyway, this actually leads to our next clip. Young lady, I should throw this at you and sentence you as an adult, but since this is your first offense, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. I am sending you to reform school. You should be placed in the custody of the juvenile facilities at Pridemore for a period of three years or until such time as the parole board determines your release, whichever comes first. You scared? Not anymore now that I know the worst is over. I wish I knew. I can't stand being locked up. I'm a runaway. A foster home, third time. How long are you going in for? Just till I'm 18. I can live where I want. You think it's any easier then? Anything's easier than living with fosters. Keep it quiet! This ain't no joyride, girls! Right. Hey, what's with the tower? Used to be a water tower. Now it's the voice of God. Huh? You'll see. Let's go. 
That to be barbed wire and stone wall. Don't kid yourself. Worst thing about this place is the human wall. Here's the fresh meat. Nice to see you back, Nikki. I see I should have kept your file active. You can wipe your ass with my file, bitch. <laughs> All right, straight ahead of the infirmary, eyes front. No talking, single file. Order is the rule here. Strip down, showers to the left, physical in 10 minutes. Get undressed, ladies. You're gonna be inspected inside and out, so get it clean. Happy hunting, pig. Take out your hair. Turn around. Bend over. Spread them wide. Closing the hamper. Be sure your name tag's on. Personal's in the basket. Move it on. Ragdoll, too, honey. This ain't no kindergarten. No, please. It's all I have. Come on, hand it over. You're a big girl now. Please, it was Joey's. I promised. Please. <clears throat> no, please. Please. All right, all right. It gets past me, but I'm not the final word here. Close the hamper. Be sure your name tags are on. Personal's in the basket. Move it on. State your size. Small, medium, or large? Small. Small. Don't worry about style. Same this year as last. Small. Medium. Come on in. Sit down, Jennifer. Friends call you Jenny? Yes, ma'am. May I? I guess so. Good, I'd like that. I'm Dr. Norton, psychologist. I've been assigned here to work with the girls on the inside. Listen to your problems, help you cope. I know it's difficult being in here. The judge said I might get parole. When would that be? Well, you're here for three years, so you won't be eligible for at least 14 months, and a lot of that depends on your behavior and your attitude. Yes. Smoke? Yes. I see in your file that your father's your legal guardian. How's he feel about your being here? He doesn't care. We don't like each other much. Why not? When my mom died, he said I could come live with him so I wouldn't have to live in a foster. And you didn't get along? Well, he liked me a lot at first, when I was little. What happened? As I got older, I made him stop. Stop? Liking me so much. You mean he molested you? Yes, ma'am. Didn't you ever tell anybody? I was too scared. I just made sure he stayed away when I got older. I learned to handle myself, okay? Not well enough. You're here. I think you're gonna do just fine, Jenny. You're new here, and so am I. I hope you and the other girls will come to me, tell me what it's like in here. I'll listen, and I'll work with you to make it as easy as I can. Got a deal? It's a deal. Hey, I told that Norn dame about us. She said we were okay. If we bunk together, will you be my friend? I already am. Out's in. Here's the new shipment. I thought I smelled fish. Welcome to our country club, ladies. This is the last stop on your tour. Home. You might call it. So, Nikki, I see that flip tongue of yours didn't get you so far on the outside. Outsmarted yourself again, didn't you? Who's your new friend? Here's Kelly. She's with me. She's okay. I'm sure she is. Too bad the two of you won't be bunking together. Take these three to number 17. These three, bunk here. Doc Norton said we could bunk together. She said we was okay. Norton don't make the rules. I do. You should know that by now, dear. She ain't never been in here before. She needs me to help her make it. Everyone's a first time at once. Get her out of here. Okay, come on, Come on, go. You know the routine. Jennifer Williams, Lisa Stewart, and of course, Nikki. You may be numbers to all the rest, but not to me. You do things right, and we'll get along. I run a good tight dorm, right, Nikki? The only thing tight about you are your pants. I'll remember that remark. I'm the head matron here. You answer to me on every count. My name's Edna, but some of the girls call me Eddie after they get to know me better. I like that. You might like it too after a while. <laughs> I expect full cooperation. That doll, I gotta take it. No, we got rules. Can't she keep it? It's real important to her. Speaking out of turn, did you hear what I said about cooperation? But the nurse said she could keep it. Oh, I'm impressed. 
It'll be safe with me. You want to see it from time to time? You just ask me nicely. Now let's go to the dorm. This is a prototypical women in prison flick, but it does have a strange sense of attempting to almost be like a parody of the type of film it so desperately wants to be. The young ladies end up at the facility and they go through an orientation scene. We've seen this in other films of this type, other women in prison flicks. It's pretty much the same kind of standard intro. I mean, we even have the introductory strip search. You see that a ton. The shower scene, that's been used a lot. And it even includes the obligatory delousing that has to come after the first shower. All of this is basically set up whenever they do this to dehumanize and bring the ladies down and to show you just how horrible prison life is so that you get this sense of dread and desperation and all the things that you're supposed to have with a prison flick. But at the same time, they try and set it up to where it's titillating because you are seeing the ladies shower and you are seeing them being mistreated. So if you have that sort of sadistic side to you where you like to see someone get tormented, you kind of feel like they're playing to your likes. Now, this one doesn't get as nasty as other films in this genre do get with the introduction of how these women are treated. I mean, it's pretty callous. It's pretty uncaring. It's pretty cold and they just kind of send them on their way, but it's not as bad as a lot of other flicks of this nature. So, you know, it's kind of half and half. And that's why it feels more like a parody because it feels kind of cartoony and comic booky compared to some of the other movies where it's not taking itself that seriously, but at the same time, it wants to be mean spirited and feel like those other films that it's emulating and copying. It goes all the way to setting the ladies up in their housing and where they get to go. And it introduces the evil matron that ends up being a lesbian who's going to be abusing the girls and using her power to be able to do what she wants with the girls, because that's another trope of this type of genre. Again, not necessarily something that I'm saying to belittle the film or films of this nature, because I am a fan of them and I recognize the tropes because I watch a lot of them because I do enjoy them. What that says about me, I'm not really ready to examine, but hey, it is what it is. So it's probably a cliche because it works. It brings us into the world of the film by showing it through the eyes of someone being thrust into that world that we're being exposed to, who also has no idea what's going on in this world that they're just being thrust into, which is the prison. That's why they use them this way. That's why they do the intros to the films this way, where you get introduced to the prison the same way the latest prisoner that we started following, it's going to be our hero of the film is. You get to live it through essentially their eyes and their experiences so you identify with them. That's the whole point. Now, at the end of the clip that I was just playing there, we are actually introduced to an actress who probably gets confused with Nancy Parsons quite a bit. Now, Nancy Parsons, you may not recognize the name, but she is the lady who played Ball Bricker in Porky's. And then also, she was Farmer Vincent's sister, Ida, in Motel Hell. Now, that is not who this particular actress is, although I can kind of see why people would confuse the two, because the actress that I'm talking about now that was just on screen is Pat Ast, I believe is how her name is pronounced. And she has been in numerous comedies and TV shows, and she plays characters that are very similar to Ball Bricker and Ida, like what Nancy Parsons plays in a lot of those films. I think she kind of gets typecast for her specific body type and the way that she carries herself, and she does use that to her advantage. She's one of the highlights of this film. I think the way that she plays it so far over the top, it actually really works for me. And because she plays these kind of characters, I can see where that confusion would happen. I've actually had plenty of people say that to me when I mentioned reform school girls are like, isn't the lady who played, you know, Farmer Vincent's sister? No, nobody ever says that because I think I'm the only person that really loves Motel Hell that much. Most people say, isn't she the ball breaker for ball breaker, ball breaker from Porky's? And well, no, she's not. That's not who Edna's being played by. Pat asked. So you can check out her career if you want. It's on IMDb. So there you go. Now back to the actual movie here. Edna leads the new ladies to 
the dormitory that she is control of. We hear that at the end of the clip there. And after she separates them against their will, and also against the caseworker, who is also new to this facility, against her wishes, and you feel like she more or less does it just because the girl asked her not to. Like, she basically does it just to be cruel. I mean, that that seems to be what Edna, Edda, Eddie, whatever you want to call her, whole thing is, is she likes to be sadistic just for the sake of being sadistic. I think she likes to cause pain. I think she enjoys being hurtful just for that sake. Now, Dorm 14 is more than likely just a male fantasy of what a reform school is. I know this because it distorted my view of this type of institution seeing it at such a young age. And I'll get back to that in my final thoughts when we kind of talk about the film at the end here. Now, the ladies are directed to their various bunks. They're shown, you know, where they need to go and told what number that they're at. And then after that, Edna just turns around and walks away. And then the girls run this gauntlet of sorts where it's involving inappropriate touching and draping of like ladies lingerie across them as they walk by. Like the girls are like, have like bras thrown at them, like onto their shoulders. And at one point, I think somebody even stuffs a pair of panties into the bra or something weird like that. It doesn't really make sense other than they're just trying to taunt the new girls. They're trying to get them to break, to make them realize that they're in this new world that's going to be this hell and all of that kind of stuff. And they run that gauntlet through these very scantily clad women who are throwing lingerie at other women who are in their prison uniforms. So again, male wish fantasy fulfillment here. And I say male because, you know, prototypical kind of thing that that would be who this audience would be, but it's a fantasy for anyone who would be sexually attracted to females. This end of the gauntlet where all the characters are having the lingerie and all the other stuff draped across them introduces us to my main punk rock crush, Wendy O. Williams and her character. And that introduction, because let's face it, it's Wendy O. Williams, that's going to be our next clip. At least Edna told you to take 17. 17's taken, fish bait. Yeah. Well, Edna just told her to take it. Listen, sister. Thanks, but I'm not your sister. Okay, Jenny, I don't mind. But you should mind. You heard what Edna said about the rules. Yeah. How about if I just move your stuff to the upper? How about if I move your ass across the floor? But look for child molesting film at 11. Let it rest, Jenny. Let it rest, Jenny. Your friend has the right idea. My friend may be afraid of you, but I'm not. I said lay off it, sister. This leads to a violent Wendy O fight against the two new friends. She fights two ladies in this scene. And I gotta say, it's kind of my thing. I was really into that because Wendy's wearing a very skimpy outfit. I mean, what she is want to do, like if she wears any outfit, usually it's a very skimpy one. Not a big fan of clothes, much to my joy. And uh, the two ladies that she's fighting against, they're also very lovely and they're our main characters. So it's kind of like this bad girl wants to dominate and control everything and just kind of bathe in the privilege that she gets from giving Edna what she wants. She's going to stand her ground and, you know, fight or fight and just try and show everybody that she's boss for these new girls that are showing up and she takes on two of them and she pretty much kicks the shit out of both of them like it's nothing i mean wendy is beating the living hell out of both of them until it gets broken up by edna and because i'm a little bit you know flummoxed and not really with it anymore because let's face it that scene was something i really liked seeing that's our next clip i see you're gonna have a hard time adjusting i was adjusting don't you contradict me, you insolent bitch. Stirring the shit already, huh? What happened, Charlie? He was throwing my personals around. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Girl ain't got much on the inside. What little she does have is personal. Messing with another girl's personals is against the rules. You just lost one privilege. But she... Speaking out of turn is another rule. Want to lose two privileges? The name of the game, ladies, is control. 
complete control. Everyone in your bunks till dinner. Fish lips are nice. It must be Wednesday. Because some people order from a different menu. Hey, Charlie. Looks like the rookie's giving you the eye. Don't cut nothing, but look. I don't know about that. Give me the box lunch. Don't bust your straps yet now. You'll get yours in the end. You lost one privilege. I decided it's dinner. Let's go. Get up. I liked the way you took on Charlie today. Ain't many fish that would fuck with Chuck. I didn't know who I was messing with. Seems like Charlie and Edna have an understanding. Yeah, Charlie's under an Edna standing. My name's Paula. Hi, nice to meet you. This is Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi. Here. Stay cool. You're okay. That's Claudia. Poor sucker. What happened to her? She flopped out last month. Flopped out? <laughs> yeah, but they caught her and flipped her back in, and now she got to do her time all over again. Asshole. You know, we got off to a bad start, but uh, now that Edna even the score, maybe we can start fresh. My name's Charlie. I know who you are. These are my girls. You call them girls? Hey. Still gonna play it cool, huh? I'm not gonna play it all. Listen, snob, you better learn real fast about life behind the iron here. Cause it's real important who you move with. You know, things would be real easy for you if you and your friend would decide to fall in with me and my girls. The proud crowd, huh? Thanks, I'll pick my own friends. Might I remind you that your friend is the local scum sucker around here. And you're in the Dutch blood, you yeah. motherfucking oh, yeah. Take that back, sick if you ever want to talk again. Yeah. You take that back if you ever want to wear that, that tongue of yours again. Stop it. Yeah. Let it alone. Do it. Stop oh, it up. Lights out! No talking. And remember, keep your fingers above the sheets. We only change them once a week. Mother of salvation, shrine of holiness and mercy, I long to come before you in my misery, sick with corruption, in pain from the wounds of crimes, putrid with the sores of sin. I am so filthy and disgusting that I am afraid you will turn your back on me. Hear me, good lady, and I bless the soul of a sinner who is contrite. It's important to point out that the student driver from the naked gun, whenever Drebin actually like commandeers the car and forces them to drive him in a, a chase and everything, is actually in this film. She makes an appearance as one of the titular girls in the reform school. I didn't realize that until watching it this time around, and I got super excited. Now, I didn't look up the actress's name, and I don't know 100% for sure, but like that really looked like her, and I'm really pretty positive just based off of my love of that film and watching it a lot as a kid as well. So I think it's pretty funny if that is the case. And it's really odd that eating dinner can be considered a privilege in this institution. It's almost like, I don't know, reform schools and prisons are not really really, you know, good places and the people that get attracted to work there and, you know, imprison other people might, I don't know, violate laws in order to meet their own needs and make sure they can be in complete control, which is said quite a bit. I think Edna is possibly the reason why, I, you know, don't trust uh, institutionalized guards.
guards or police or anyone else who has power over anybody. Or maybe it's just because I'm, you know, a big pain in the ass and I don't like to be told what to do. I don't really know. All right. So as we heard there toward the very end of the clip, one of Charlie's girls, Knox, was the actress who played Nikki in Friday the 13th Part 6. It's important to point that out for me anyway, because that particular character, Nikki in Part 6, she's the girl in the RV and she has a special place in my heart because she sleeps with the character named Court. So Nikki sleeps with Court, therefore I remember Nikki quite a bit. And yes, that character of Court is pretty wild with his knees that can't be contained by normal pants. He has to have the most shredded pants in all of the 80s. <laughs> Friday the 13th Part 6, Nikki sleeps with Court. There you go. The prayer that's offered at the very, very end of the clip, it really demonstrates a very serious need for the separation of church and state. So this whole entire film, while at the same time it's not very serious and it feels kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of corny and cheesy, goes right back to actually having a few bits and pieces of messages and certain things that you can kind of glom where you can see where you have someone who's a religious zealot in charge who also seems to be a bit sadistic on her own right, we'll see later on, also having underlings who are sadistic and have a thing for control and being in charge. It's almost like that's a bad thing for an institution. Weird. Well, anyway, so after the clip here, our hero, Jenny, has to soothe her friend who begins weeping due to her inability to sleep in a strange bed. Now they cut from that to Lisa wakes up in a panic and has an episode of some sort. Uh, we've had it established that she has a trauma or there's something wrong with her mental faculties, let's just say. The way that that was demonstrated is during the clip I was playing at the beginning when the girls are introduced, one of the guards actually does the crazy sign by, you know, doing the finger twirl around the side of the head in a circle that makes you, you know, go, ooh, they're wacko. Oh, there's something not right up there. That's basically how they tell you there's something wrong with her. And then they go on to demonstrate. And the actress who plays Lisa, I think, does a really good job of being vulnerable, of being in a constant state of panic, and then also having reactions to certain stimuli that tie back to her history. And I think they play that out really well. And we'll, we'll get into that too, but I just wanted to mention it right here. So she needs that bunny rabbit that we were discussing earlier, that that's what she needs apparently to help her sleep. So it's the main reason why she wanted to keep her bunny rabbit. And that's one of the reasons why they let her keep it at the start is because of this mental disability or whatever faculty issue that she may have. So she goes goes and sneaks out of the dorm, works her way down the stairs for that bunny rabbit, and she's still kind of in a panic and she's all worked up because obviously she's terrified to be there, but at the same time she knows that what she's doing could get her even in further trouble or make something even more wrong, so she's even more terrified. And she ends up sneaking into Eddie's administrative office area to look for and maybe steal back that bunny that she got taken. So she does end up finding it, but when she finds it, she is caught and she begins screaming horribly, which they cut away to show everybody else in the dorm and then she you hear her screaming horribly like over and over again which wakes up the whole fucking dorm obviously because this girl's screaming bloody murder and it's of course because Eddie is there burning the fucking rabbit in front of her forcing her to watch and that's how she decides to punish her and that actually leads to our next clip seems like you new girls are having some trouble getting adjusted I know I have a beautiful voice but I don't make these rules to hear myself talk so far today, it's been two girls and two infractions, and that's too much. You'll all be written up and confined tomorrow if there's any more trouble from this group. Take care of your friend. She just had a little accident. The end of the clip leads to our first shower scene, which is 
a thank you movie, I guess, for the most part. Jenny is warned about Charlie again by the lady who offered her some food for standing up to Charlie, which I believe is Claudia, after she lost her dinner or what have you. Jenny notices a circular burn mark on the buttocks of all of the girls in Charlie's gang and asks about it. And then Claudia then responds that she doesn't see the marks and neither does Jenny, basically telling her, you just ignore that. That's not a big deal. That's not something you need to know about. They're just trying to basically make it seem like this brand that's happening to these women is something so much more sinister and it means something much bigger that they need to cover up or something along those lines. But this prompts Charlie to walk over when she notices that Jenny is eyeballing them because she obviously was, basically. And actually, that leads to our next clip. You butthole sisters better wash your things real good because we don't want none of your crotch rot in our dorm. Shine it on. I want to see that bitch get hers before I I see from your report you've listed all of Lisa's infractions, but you've made no attempt to indicate what might have provoked her behavior. Troublemaker's a troublemaker. All these girls are here because they broke the rules. It's not my job to find out why. I'm here to see they don't break anymore. I see. Well, perhaps I'd better speak to Lisa alone. Suit yourself. I'm missing my breakfast anyway. You don't like Edna, do you, Lisa? Do you know what don't make waves means? Lisa, all the girls have it hard on the inside, but you gotta go with the flow. Don't make waves. Don't push too hard, and your time will go much easier. I can't breathe. I'm locked up, I can't breathe. Please, you can help me. You can help me. I didn't want to come here. I only ran away. I didn't want to be here. It doesn't have to be so frightening. We're all on the inside. But you're not locked up. You can leave. I was always locked up. Me and Joey locked up in the dark. I'm gonna die if I stay here. Joey died. You're not gonna die. Now, do you understand me? You're not going to die. Now, who's Joey? How did he die? My brother. He died in the hot box. We were locked up. Hot box? What is it, Lisa? The old ice box in the garage. She always locked us in there when we were bad. Who did this to you? Foster mother. She always locked us in there when we were bad to punish us. Oh my God. One time she locked us both in there. It was hot and and it was crowded and there wasn't enough air. And Joey started to sweat and then he was he was choking it. I tried not to breathe. I tried not to breathe. I didn't want to take his air and, and I started, I pounded on the door, I pounded on the door, but she didn't hear me. It's not your fault, Lisa. You didn't have anything to do with his dying. They took him away. They took all his things away and I kept his bunny. Joey's gone, but I only kept his bunny. I needed it to sleep. Is that why you left the dorm last night? Get the bunny. It was in the drawer. It was locked up in, and it was dark, and I started to think about Joey, and I couldn't breathe. The therapist seems to be touching Lisa a little too much and a little too frequently, and it also seems not very appropriate the way that she's doing it either. I mean, it's kind of bizarre. Maybe it's just because I don't like fucking people putting their hands on me or whatever, but it just seemed like her way of comforting her was a little too creepy. Or maybe I'm just trying to look for more bad systemic things going on with this institution. Who knows? They reveal that Lisa's brother was suffocated, and basically what happened was they were locked in an old fridge together, 
which we heard in the clip, which explains her obvious claustrophobia that she's experiencing. I mean, she's in a confined place that she can't get out of, so that sort of starts triggering those memories. And then having that bunny, which is pretty much a replacement for her brother, she can't sleep unless that bunny's there because it's like the stand-in thing that she's using to represent what used to be her brother. Having that get burned in front of her is probably making these symptoms that much worse, and she needs something, anything, to kind of comfort her and help her sleep at night and help her forget the fact that she's locked up. So, yeah, that's a little disturbing. They cut from the clip to the shop-making license plates, which I guess you need in every one of these institutions. I mean, that was kind of a cliche thing for, like, the longest time. And I don't, Do they still make license plates in these reform schools and or prisons and stuff? I don't know. I guess so. Each of the ladies has a various discussion going on about their lives, what it's like in the reform school, just typical dialogue stuff back and forth. And at some point, another fight breaks out and then is broken up by the guards. So it's clear that the ladies are starting to have issues with communicating with each other. They're starting to feel the pressure and the way that the system is coming down on them in this reform school, the draconian rules and the way that they're being treated. It's starting to really affect them. They cut away from that fight being broken up by the guards to a dinner where Stella's ladies bully the girl they wanted to join up with them when Sybil Danning enters the film. Finally, we get more than just her voice over an intercom, for goodness sakes. And because it's Sybil Danning and she's doing a speech, that's also my next clip. Be seated. Hold your tongues! I'm here to address the commotion that took place in the machine shop this afternoon. As you know, the two wildcats are in their cages tonight. You're lucky you're not with them. Rules are rules. And anyone not adjusting to these rules is going to be a sorry young lady. In the words of St. Joan at the stake, I was about to quote St. Joan just before she fried. this bullshit stopped and I want it stopped now. You're losing your charisma, Edna. You're too easy. It's time you put on your fuck you boots and start kicking. My girls won't step in a line anymore, Sutter. I promise you that. Okay, so they cut from the food fight right there at the end of the clip where she's talking. Basically, one girl drops a fork and then a bunch start doing it and then food starts getting tossed around and it looks like the actresses are having a lot of fun in this scene, but it's supposed to be, you know, this rebellious thing where they're finally standing up or they're finally, they've had too much. They cut from that food fight to the ladies doing hard labor in the hot sun, tilling soil while Edna sits under an umbrella from the sunlight, tipping on some cold iced tea. Charlie is sunbathing and lifting some weights and her minions are playing catch or something in the background. Charlie serves Edna her tea. Like, every time Edna wants a tea, Charlie has to get up off of laying down on the ground from sunbathing, take the cup out of her hand, even though the pitcher is right next to Edna. She's got to get the cup out of her hand, pick up the pitcher, pour the tea, hand the cup back to Edna, and then set the pitcher back down on the table that is right next to Edna, and then she can move on and go back to lifting or doing whatever. But usually she just kind of stands there after that and the scene where she just kind of does this. I, th- I don't know. I thought it was funny. It made me laugh. So the ladies are starting to blame the counselor Norton, the ones that were just coming in where they're like, well, this is her fault or whatever. They're just kind of lashing out. And then Lisa goes to ask for water because Lisa doesn't know decorum. She's a damn 
damaged woman. So she just kind of doesn't know how to handle these types of situations. And she's just used to being able to just ask for things. And also, I guess her faculties for punishment, she doesn't understand what will and will not get her punished. I'm not sure exactly how that works or if they just want to make Lisa the cause for all the problems in this particular movie. She's refused and then tossed into the dirt and is scolded, basically saying their chance for a drink was last night at dinner whenever they threw everything around and they screwed that up. This causes Lisa to pass out from what I'm assuming is heat exhaustion. She then is laid into the back of the truck and they actually give her some water then. They get 10 minutes for lunch at this point and Lisa eyes up that truck driving dude who's sitting in the back and her food gets coughed on by Nikki from Friday the 13th Part 6 and that leads to our next clip. Another day it is and I'm gonna fold. Don't think about it. That's what they want. That's how they control it. Say, I hate discussing business at lunch. <laughs> hey, look at that. Holy shit, it must be a wild. Wow. lucky to be on the outside. Hey, you think we can keep it like a mascot? Yeah, we can have a dorm pit. We can have Edna on our asses, too. We'll die out here if we don't feed it. The last thing we need around the dorm is another pussy. Oh, <laughs> Ditch a cat, here comes a guard. Get us home, Buster. so cute. <laughs> let me hold him. Come on, let me hold him. I thought you'd like to have him, Lisa. It's kind of cute with you, Benny. It's such a good appetite. I think I'll call him Bunny. You think when that sucker rolls up, it'll catch rats? Yeah. Ain't nothing big enough to catch Edna's ass. <laughs> Ain't Edna's ass that'll catch it if they find out we got that animal in here. Oh, come on, but they ain't gonna find out, are they, Charlie? Listen, you know the rules. I'm sick of this hard labor shit. But there's gonna be some hard shit come down on anybody that blows it about this kitten. Understand? We'll see about that. Yes. We will. All right, All right, let's play the name game. Charmin, Karen, Eldred, Andrea, Stuart, Lisa, Chandler's Charlie. This is a terrible idea for them to bring a cat into that dorm for the reformatory, especially with a statist like Edna around. And also Charlie. I mean, Charlie's just looking to cause problems and give people pain. So I don't know what they're fucking thinking. Yeah, the, the cat's adorable. Don't get me wrong. And yes, the poor thing probably would die if it was left out there in the desert alone. So it is kind of the more humane choice, I, I guess. I don't know, but I don't know. They decide besides all of the reasons why this is a really bad idea to bring the cat in and try and hide it. Regardless of all of that, Jenny gives the kitten to Lisa, as we kind of hear there in the clip, who does name it Bunny. And then when Edna shows up, the kitten is hidden and roll call occurs. The lights out is called once again, and then the ladies all hit their bunks. Lisa checks on her new kitty and snuggles with it while chatting with Jenny about how she will call the cat Joey and then asks if that's okay to call it Joey instead of Bunny. There's another Bible verse as the ladies are put to bed. Now, do I need to really kind of go into this whole thing about calling the cat? Joey and what that's going to do to poor Lisa's psyche. We heard it in the trailer. I already mentioned it. That's the thing a lot of people talk about in this film, the kitty stomping scenes coming. But for now, the cat's still alive. We're going to keep a running tally of how long this cat's going to make it through the film. And that actually leads to our very next clip. You've got two minutes. My grievances, Warden Sutter, concern the medieval treatment of the girls at the hands of this woman. Lisa Stewart was brought to the infirmary today, suffering from heat exhaustion. Jennifer Williams told me she was refused water. What'd you serve the girls for lunch? I don't recall. I'll tell you. Bread and water. A treatment that went out with whips and chains. It was hot out there. Anything else would have perished. Including the girls? My God, Warden, open your eyes! 
This woman is conducting a personal reign of terror at your institution. She is out of control. She is controlled, and I am the power. There's no making without breaking. Miss Dawson, I am fully aware of the importance of discipline. What I am concerned about is your system of favoritism, specifically Charlie and her girls. Just rewarding those who are making progress. I would hardly call Charlie a model of reform. There's something going on between the two of you. I don't know what it is, but it's perverse. Enough. You're wasting my time with your petty squabbles. Excuse me. I wouldn't want to waste your time. I'll just file my report to the commission and see what they have to say about all this. I knew that one was going to be trouble. Don't worry. That report will never pass my desk. I can spike that report. Make sure you take care of that Williams girl. It's that time. At the end of the clip, Lisa is kidnapped by Charlie's crew and is going to be branded to show she is part of Charlie's property. But this is interrupted by Jenny, who fights with Charlie's gang until Edna comes along to break it up once again and decides to lock Lisa in isolation, which, given her history, is possibly the worst thing you could ever do to her. She has severe claustrophobia and being locked in an an increasingly tinier space is going to be really bad for her. The kitten is still alive at this point, so it made it out for now. It's safe. It was hidden safely in a pillowcase by one of the other girls who care about it. And they cut from that to more field work as the ladies are growing more and more angry at Charlie and the favoritism that Edna is giving her. They then engage in discussion of how they would like to abuse the truck driver sexually. And by abuse, I mean get with him. I mean, they're probably pretty horny. They've been locked up away from men for a while, so I guess but still, that was a little creepy in that talk. And Jenny seems to be developing a plan of escape as lunch is called. But Jenny is denied lunch and water and sent immediately back to work while everybody else is allowed to their small break. Jenny fakes passing out immediately after that to be put on the truck to get some private time with the only penis in the entire vicinity of this particular prison. He hands her a note saying, meet in the truck after lights out. They cut to lights out as she stows the kitten away and two of the girls call out as a distraction so that Jenny can sneak out to get herself some. Lisa is looking for the kitten but doesn't raise a fuss so it's definitely still alive once this starts happening. Jenny eludes a doctor who's walking around by the fencing that she's trying to sneak through and then some other personnel as well to make it to the truck where the rock and roll let's just call him a dildo because at this point that's all this guy really is both personality wise and, you know, usage that Jenny's going to get out of him. He's got this weird, like, makeshift bed thing set up in the back with some candles. So we get a sort of romantic-ish like sex scene here. I mean, Jenny gets a little bit of a drink. She said she hasn't done it in a truck before, you know, and then tries to angle for him to take her out to a hotel, like, you know, get me out of here, help me escape. He won't go for it at this point because it's clear this guy's just going to use her because he's kind of a creep. And he starts getting real pervy on her real fast, and it made me pretty uncomfortable. I was really not happy with that. But she seems into it. I mean, she kind of looks like she's going along with this, but at the same time, I think it's basically just trying to angle to get him to get her out of here, I think. But then again, maybe 
maybe she is that horny because she's been locked up for long enough. I really don't know what the movie's trying to tell me other than it makes me uncomfortable and I don't like that guy's hair. So she goes in for a kiss and they cut from that to the doctor who says it was probably menstrual cramps why the ladies are all freaking out and in pain, which, I mean, I guess that could be a thing, but that also feels kind of misogynistic. But again, you're watching a women in prison flick. There's going to be misogyny. You just can't get away from it. So we're back with the rocker dildo guy who is ready to get down with some fucking. She angles to escape once again for sex. So she's basically trying to say, if I sleep with you, will you help me get out of here? Which he obviously lies when he says, sure. And then they get after it. We get to see a little bit of a sex scene going on here. But again, didn't like his hair. Dude was creeping me out. Was a very uncomfortable sex scene, even though Jenny's breasts are very prominently featured on screen. They cut from this to the allies of Jenny check to see if she is let loose as the truck starts to drive off. The guy flat out rats her out and says that she's in the back, like the real asshole that we knew he was all along. And this sets off a bit of a chase scene where Jenny runs for it and tries to get out and goes all over the place, which sets off a bunch of rock and roll blaring around and then the prison alarms and the, you know, prisoner loose kind of thing going on. As she is dragged down the hall into isolation, so now Jenny's the one that's getting locked up. Now it is heavily implied that Edna was sexually assaulting her with what looks like a giant rubber hose or something, and she had on a rubber glove. Judging by the screams, she was intent on sexually traumatizing this girl as punishment. That was what Edna was going for. So Edna's really sadistic and really twisted because she just flat out raped that girl with a rubber hose or something and maybe possibly fisted her too, judging from the rubber glove she was wearing. I don't know. They were heavily implying some serious violation going on there. That was fucked up. See, this is where the tone thing gets uneven again. It's all quirky and weird and, you know, kind of trying to be funny and a little campy. And then it goes real dark, real fast. So it's a real uneven tone and it's kind of hard to get a grasp on what this movie's going for. They cut from this to Charlie and her group grab Lisa and it is implied that they are planning to gang rape her. Nikki wants to stop this, but Claudia prevents her from stopping it because taking on Charlie is taking on Edna and they've got enough trouble already so they just kind of let it happen. So with no one to help her, Lisa is stripped nude and branded while Charlie forcibly kisses her. It felt like a rape scene the way that they did that. It was really kind of gross. They cut from that to our next clip. My God, why is the condition of this girl so bad? It ain't easy to make yourself pretty in the hole. Jenny, nobody even told me you were in until this morning. God, Jenny, you look terrible. Oh, I'm fine. Thanks for the water. You know, your time's been doubled. I can't believe it, Jenny. You want to tell me what's happened? Isn't it there on my record? Their version is, but I want to hear what you've got to say. Nothing I say counts. What you got there in my file is all that matters. Everything's done by the book, right, Doc? I'm gonna do something else by the book, Jenny. I'm filing a report to the Youth Authority Commission. Now, this could get serious. Sutter will obviously oppose my position. I want you to testify. Tell how you and the other girls are treated, how you've been abused here. No pigeon. Think I'm gonna stick my neck out in the block so you can hand Edna the ax? Jenny, I'll protect you. I won't let anything happen to you. But I can't do it alone. I need 
positive evidence, some testimony, anything that'll help me present my case. Can't you see what I'm after, Jenny? Listen, Doc, I know you mean well, but so far there's been a lot of talk and a lot of pain. The talk doesn't seem to change much, but the pain sure makes you think. I'll see you around. Sure feels good to clean up after two weeks in that hole. How's it going for you, kid? Well, I'm okay now. And Nikki told me what happened. It wouldn't happen if I was here. I know, thanks. Hey, I heard number 11 had a flop out last night. She got it worse than you. Two cut wrists going over the fence. What difference does it make? She was a wanker. You're all wankers. This place was running smooth till you ungrade started messing things up. This place ain't never run smooth before no one but you, Chuck. I'm through taking the hard labor shit for you guys. And we're through taking shit for Metna so you can get your way around here, princess. Come on, let's beat the shit out of each other. Your time's already doubled. Let's see if we can get a triple. Take her out. Come on. She ain't worth getting busted over. You know, Edna won't take our side over hers. Come on. All right, line up. Countdown. Well, this leads to another roll call, and this time Charlie lets that kitten out. When it is found by Edna, Lisa freaks out. The kitten runs as Edna starts stomping after it and running and running to the dismay of the entire dorm. Now, this is a pretty quick sequence where Edna goes after it, stomping like a run stomp thing where she's trying to stomp the kitten like it's a rat or something like that. And the entire dorm is yelling at her trying to get her to stop, except for the very sadistic Charlie who's into it and just kind of thinks it's funny. Then Edna catches up to the poor kitten, stomps it dead. And even for like a brief moment there, it looks like even she can't believe what it is that she just did. And then Lisa just flat passes out right after that happens. And I've had enough of this scene, so that's our next clip. Who dared to bring this animal in here? I said... Who dared to bring this animal in here? All right, have it your own way. If I don't have the name of every girl responsible for this by morning, you'll all pay. Just don't stand there. Bring me something to wipe my shoe. Even at the end of the clip, it still seems as though Edna feels kind of disgusted at herself because she does look down. I don't know if it's just because she's grossed out because she's got cat guts and blood and whatever else was inside that poor little kitten all over her. But I want to feel like even she knew that this was a step too far. Maybe she's just trying to act tough, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's still pretty fucked up, even though they didn't show it. It's pretty fucked up scene. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to remember that the kitty stomping scene. I'm sure that's why they put it in the film is just that little extra bit of fucking exploitation to gross everybody out. They cut from this to Lisa makes a run for it and climbs what used to be the water tower and is now like a guard tower. Edna is close behind, shouting curses at her like Yosemite fucking Sam the whole entire time. And then Lisa loses some footing, but finally makes it all the way to the top of the tower. And in backing up away from Edna, she breaks through a railing and ends up falling to her death. Now this death sets off the mother of all fucking Ryan sequence as the destruction wreaked by those ladies in skimpy outfits shapes my young libido. Yeah, that kind of is something that I remember more than even the kitty stomp scene in this film was the women trashing things in lingerie and or skimpy outfits or just bras and panties. Yeah, not gonna lie, that did it for me as a kid. Charlie and Claudia have their final showdown. I think they even say something like, well, let's fight it out, let's get it done, or something along those lines. During this riot, like, they're really getting after it, really trying to fuck each other up. The guards finally break in and Sybil Danning fires a shotgun to break it all up. And that is our next clip. Not one word. I'll get to the bottom of this, Sutter. You can be sure. Shut up. It was them. They did it. Back in your cage. 
There's no sucking up to Edna this time. You, look at you. I thought you were going to whip this place into shape. I should have known I'd had to do it myself. Your time is doubled. Shows your chin. Tripled. Who's dishing out the shit around here, Edna? You are queen mother. Charlie, you're nothing but a stupid kid from Cleveland. Just a shit stain on the panties of life. You should know you lick them every night. No privileges till further notice. And clean up this dump. <sighs> Party's over, kid. Take her away. I'll piss on her brain! Two weeks in the hole wasn't enough, I see. You fucking killer! Kill her? You wish I had killed you before I'm done. Get out of them clothes. Get them off now. This leads to an uncomfortable scene where Jenny is forced to strip down completely naked and is blasted with a fire hose. It's essentially there just to dehumanize her and to force her to break or something along those lines where Edna just wants her to say the names of the other girls involved or whoever else started it. I mean, Edna's just using all of this shit as an excuse to fucking torture Jenny and to try and drown her with a fucking hose. I mean, that's all this is. But Jenny ends up collapsing and is unconscious because I'm pretty sure she fucking drowned from having that water forced down her lung. The other guard even acts as though this is too far for her and that this is just too much and she needs to stop. She even tries to stop Edna. Edna pretty much just tells her to fuck off and then continues the torture and Edna gets her rape rocks off by doing this. It's just really a bizarre scene. Again, uneven in the tone like you just don't know where this film is coming from and it's kind of hard to get a bearing on but they cut away from this to our next clip. What the hell is going on here, Sutter? What now? I want answers and I want them fast. Oh, there. No, you won't, damn it. Now I'm away from this place for three days. One girl commits suicide, two are in solitary, and a third is unconscious in the infirmary, unable to tell me what's happening. Now I want answers. I don't take to threats. You better take to this one, Sutter, because when I file my report to the Youth Commission, you're gonna be answering to more than just threats. Norton's history. I want her off the premises at once. Me, the commission. Don't leave us now, Doc. You were right. We need your help. Lisa's dead. I know, dear. And more of us are gonna go if you don't stay with it. Oh, Jenny. It's just that I'm not sure what to do or how to do it anymore. The harder I try, the worse it gets for you and the others. No, Doc, you can't give up. I was wrong and you were right. Tell me what to do. I'll need you to testify. Okay. I'll need you and the others to tell your story to the outside. It'll be tough. They'll say you're lying, but I'll back you. I'll go to the DA, the press, whatever it takes, Jenny. We'll beat them right here. Sorry, Dr. Norton. Orders. I'm leaving. Go get him, Doc. Child abuse. That bitch hasn't heard the last of me yet. She can't make it stick. We'll just say it's sour grapes over her being fired. The commission won't interfere here. Bringing shocking accusations of torture and inhuman conditions at Pridemore Juvenile Facilities, Dr. Norton claims to have a chief witness willing to testify at the hearing. You've got one week. Clear. Crystal clear. Kill her! Kill her, you fucking murderer! Leave us alone. In light of the sensational circumstances surrounding this case, I thought it best to keep this hearing informal and, of course, private. I have reviewed your report, Dr. Norton, and I must tell you that both the committee and myself find it rather shocking and somewhat hard to believe. Warden Sutter also informed us that you filed this report shortly after being dismissed of duty at Pridemore facilities. Is that correct? I assure you, Your Honor, that I would not have made these accusations lightly. There are conditions and circumstances at Pridemore which demand immediate attention. She just wants attention for herself, Your Honor. 
I challenge Miss Dawson's remark, Your Honor. And if we might bring in my witness, she will enlighten you and the board members as to the seriousness of these accusations. And that would be Miss Williams? Yes, Your Honor. Pardon me, Your Honor. Miss Williams is unable to testify. What are you talking about? Where's Jenny? What's happened to her? She's not well. That is a lie. They are deliberately keeping the girl away from testifying to protect themselves. Dr. Fisher examined the girl himself this morning and said she was just too sick to leave. Dr. Fisher? Yes, Your Honor, I examined the girl. She seemed a little weak, almost delirious. Could be meningitis. However, Your Honor, present are several girls from the same dorm. I'm sure you'll find them just as cooperative. Just after the clip there, Jenny attacks the nurse holding her hostage. I mean, she's kind of holding her hostage and makes her escape. And Charlie and her thugs are brought in to testify to what is happening, meaning that Edna has set up this whole thing just to keep all of their asses covered. Charlie's going along with it because I think she wants some of that life back and maybe she got some kind of a promise to get her sentence reduced. Who knows? I mean, at this point, the movie's just kind of grasping its straws to try and figure out what it wants to do with the story anyway. This justifiably sends the fired Doc Norton over the edge saying do something damn it at the girls and basically super upset that they're allowing this type of abuses and things that are happening to them to just continue to go on. Then Jenny steps into the lunchroom and she flashes Claudia the keys that she got her hands on. Claudia takes a guard hostage immediately with like a fork that I guess she sharpened up or maybe it's just a fucking fork. I, I don't know, whatever. But she does this to make it to the meeting to tell the truth. They finally need to get the youth board or whatever it is to know what's going on in this horrible, horrible reform school. And the only way to do that is to take someone physically hostage and to assault people. They are stopped by a guard that looks shockingly like Katie Holmes a little too much in that scene. It was a little bizarre. They all overpower her as another riot begins to break out, complete with the rock and roll music and all the fun craziness that goes along with a prison riot. Charlie screams out within that chamber, all right, rumble, strips down and goes after the judge, which is pretty funny. And that leads to our final clip. anymore, Edna. We're going to that meeting. We're going to tell it like it is. No one moves! You can't kill us all. No way. Sooner or later, they're going to find out about the beatings and the tortures and the murders. It's all over, Edna. We're going in. With this, Edna grabs a gun and shoots Claudia. It's an authority figure that's going to shoot a black woman because, of course, she's going to shoot the fucking black girl. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ movie. Wow. This sends the inmates scrambling as Edna and the guards fire randomly at inmates, and the inmates grab tools like shovels and pickaxes and all the stuff that they've been doing their hard labor work with to fight back while Edna climbs the tower. I'm guessing to escape or just to get a better shot. Who knows? Charlie somehow is now friends with Claudia. Claudia, all of a sudden they are getting along now that she is dying or was shot by Edna. I don't know exactly how this works, but all of a sudden there's just this giant turnaround and now they're friends. And then she shouts out, let's get the bitch while a full riot breaks out. Some craziness just ensues. Charlie jumps the fence and then hot wires the prison short bus. After being shot herself, she runs down a fence with the short bus, busts out the fucking windshield, climbs up on top of the bus to send it into 
an electrical pedestal that is right there underneath the tower to catch the tower on fire. She jumps off the bus like the masterful punk rock goddess we all know and love. The tower catches on fire when the pedestal goes up. A bloody Charlie gasps and gargles out, see you in hell, to Edna. Edna continues to scream complete control over and over and over again before catching on fire and falling to her death. The inmates all cheer, justifiably so. Cut to the ruined tower. Jenny is being released despite inciting a riot. I don't know how that works, but whatever. And Doc Norton clutches her file, looking at it longingly. Jenny gets in her cab, and It's My Life by Wendy O. Williams starts jamming out as it fades to black, and then the credits roll. Okay, so final thoughts on this movie. I've been talking about it and I've been kind of mentioning it back and forth. This tone is extremely uneven. Now, this film is something that I have seen, and I believe as far as I can tell, this is probably the very first women in prison film that I've ever seen. Now, this was something that I caught on cable. I don't know if it was like a TBS date, like mid-afternoon movie where they edit everything all to hell, or even a USA Up All Night where they kind of edit everything, but they still kind of leave a few things in to keep your mind going, you know, uh, and be all quote-unquote titillated. I'm not sure which scenario that I saw this in, but I do know for a fact that I saw this probably before I was even 10, so I don't know how I got my hands on it, how I ended up seeing it, but it was uh, an eye-opening film, to say the least. Uh, The particular scene where they first walk into the dorm and all the women are in lingerie and everything like that, I remember even thinking as a kid, like, that's not right. I mean, nobody just wants to stand around and disrobe like that. That doesn't seem, well, I guess, okay. (laughs) You know, when they're running the gauntlet and all the underwear is being thrown at them and stuff. The uh, editing for the television version of this movie is pretty hilarious, I must say. It's more of a fond movie memory than an actual fond movie watching. Um, There's plenty of stuff in it that's enjoyable. There's plenty of things to laugh and have a good time at. I mean, it features Wendy O. Williams very prominently, who I'm a huge fan of, so seeing her in this film just really amps up the enjoyment for me, especially having her play the villain where she's like this sadistic, mean person, because the way she delivers her dialogue and the way that she actually speaks whenever she's being dramatic about things is just so fucking fun. Uh, the scene that I remember the most, the two things that always stuck with me, number one, the fucking cat getting stomped. I mean, I always remembered it being so much more horrifying and just like gross than what it is. And I think it's just my memory filling in the blanks of, you know, trying to make it seem more so than what it is. Or maybe it was just my imagination ran wild with me as a kid more, but it just really wasn't as horrible as I remembered it being. It's just implied being horrible and they just fucking kill a kitten for no reason other than just to show how fucking evil Edna is and I don't think we needed it because Edna's pretty fucking evil. But I mean, it could have been worse. You could have burned the kitten and stomped on the fucking stuffed animal, right? I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, there's not a little lot of stuff that you can really say thank you movie for. I mean, the shower scene's kind of close. I mean, there's some nudity that still gets kind of creepy because of the way some of the girls sleaze on each other. And again, this is an institution where women are being held basically hostage, you know, for whatever perceived crime that they may or may not have committed and then things continue to get worse. You talk out of turn, you're not allowed to have fucking dinner, you know, in this joint. It's just, it's a horrible place and these women are being dehumanized. So having them be displayed in a shower scene in an environment like this, it kind of makes you feel guilty, but at the same time, you're kind of enjoying it because it is titillating to see. So it's a disturbing thought to kind of, you know, why do I like these kind of movies? You know, you kind of have to deal with that scenario in your own brain. And for me, it's more or less, I saw this as a kid, so I still like to watch it, but you know, I still will check out other women in prison films that are from this era that I 
hadn't seen before just you know to see what they're like and a lot of them are very similar and this like i said it fits that pattern this particular one seems like they're trying to do campy over the top and fun and just you know make it kind of a cheesy movie that still has some elements to it that are you know women in prison films but then it takes these really drastic dynamic turns i mean entire stuff with lisa and her history the past story of abuse that happened to her and how she witnessed her brother's death when they were locked in an old time fridge that was hot and they were running out of oxygen it's harrowing and the actress who plays lisa is actually quite good uh, some of the delivery that she gives in those sequences where she's talking about it really wrenched my heart like i really felt it i really was feeling that something was wrong with this poor girl and she just needed someone to recognize that and she needed to go to a place where she could get help on a fucking reform school where she's going to be abused branded and raped i mean that's just horrifying these institutions are like that though man they're just fucking scary you know you give people power over what other people can and cannot do and it's going to get abused regardless overall the film can be enjoyable to watch if you're just kind of hanging you know sitting back watching the film i mean i don't want to make it sound like it's such a downer and a bummer because it does have some moments i mean the riots when the girls finally go off they have to happen for a reason so of course they have to be provoked into it i mean we've seen that even in the orange is a new black whenever those ladies finally rioted conditions kept getting worse and worse and worse for them as they were being abused until they finally fought back it's not a shocking thing that that's going to happen you mistreat people long enough they will stand up and they will burn that motherfucker down that's how it works man you can't treat people like that but i mean we like to watch rebellion things like that but there always has to be a reason you have to justify why they're being so cruel you know otherwise you end up with a thing with like rock and roll high school where it's a bunch of snotty kids just destroying the high school because fuck high school which in and of itself is still fucking fun to think about so i guess we're okay there right i mean yeah overall it's a fun film i'm not going to give it like a quick rating or anything like that i don't like to do that as much i just like to discuss the things that i didn't didn't enjoy in the film and then you can kind of draw your own conclusions on whether or not you want to watch it but i mean movies like what 90 minutes max moves along at a very quick pace things continue to happen there's very few scenes where you really feel any runtime at all and most of the things that you feel runtime on are essentially the little pieces of dialogue where they're pausing too much in between them which i cut out for the clips for you guys so it's you know overall pretty enjoyable flick and uh i guess check it out if you feel like it and if my review of it didn't sell you on it and you're not a fan of wendy o williams then i guess you can skip it well no mat means no news folks so that's going to be the end of the show i'm going to play one final break from another podcast here that really wishes it didn't have to be on this show because nobody's probably going to listen to it we're gonna have a little bit of music from wendy o williams that was also featured in the film and when we come back we're going to close out this solo lonely sad man show hey feeling down feeling low not enough podcasts about movies in your life why not try they must be destroyed on sight the new podcast cure-all sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living we have exploitation we have italian horror we have zombies we have slashers we have crime films we have spaghetti westerns we even have sci-fi and sex comedies so take a dose of they must be destroyed on sight as needed and let the hosts lee russell daniel harper paul romali and the odd guest host cure what ails you warning may cause atrophy african consumption black fever bone shave chin puff colic cramp colic dropsy of the brain elephantitis grocer's itch jaundice mania miasma mortification palsy pox disease rheumatism scurvy saint anthony's fire summer complaint and worm fit in some people consult a physician before listening
Okay, folks, you can support the show while you support the show. Teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash cinema dash psyops. You can find us on our main landing and or launching page for Legion Podcast, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. We have our Facebook group, Cinema Psyops, where there's still a lot of memes up and kicking. Some alternative photography keeps popping up. You guys are having a lot of fun there, and I'm glad to see it. Uh, Just wanted to give everybody a heads up. The numbers dropped quite a bit in the group, but that is because there were a bunch of lurkers and apparently Facebook has a new thing now where they kick out people who are just lurking and don't participate in groups. Crazy, but it does happen. You can find me on the Book of Faces. I am Court Psyops. Currently, my picture for my profile is just the word the United States of America and like a neon and all spelled out right now is SOS because that's where we're at. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt Psyop, although probably never on there and he'll probably never even listen to the show because does he even listen to a show that he's not on? I guess. I don't know. You can email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com. Let him know he needs to show up and do the show when he's scheduled to. You can email feedback to court, cinemapsyopscourt at gmail.com. Let him know to give Matt a break. He's a human being for fuck's sakes, and he has emotions and feelings and things that you can't understand, you fucking psychopath. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find Matt on Twitter, where you can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats who are looking to quit that hate-filled shitfest of a fucking social media platform. I'm at court underscore psyop, and he is at psyopmatt. Now just remember, folks, while you're out there in your lives living the life that you live it is your life and you can do what you want to do what you want to do what you want to do but while you're doing that kick the fuck out of this week and make it your bitch Don't play hard to-